So we always think of walls as defense, right? That's kind of the obvious thing. But in many, many instances, we think that these were actually, um, these were symbolic. They were messages. Welcome to the Why You Ideas podcast, where values-based education meets today's challenges and opportunities with your host, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Halpern. Today's guest is Clinical Assistant Professor of Archaeology, Dr. Jill Katz. Among the many treasures in the Israel Museum, one comes across an amulet or two that uh, has in its display a fascinating background. It mentions that these amulets were actually discovered by a young child who is shooed to the side by an archaeologist and told, go dig over there. And what this child actually discovered was a priceless historical artifact of the Jewish people. So you and your work, maybe you started as that precocious child digging away, uh, or maybe it's a calling that you found later in life. Tell us about your archaeological interests and what you've discovered along the way. Uh, sure. So, yes, I think... Um, many people who go into archaeology, this is a passion that they've had uh, since childhood. And frequently when I tell people I am an archaeologist, they usually say, oh, that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, occasionally they get it confused and think I'm a paleontologist. And I tell them, no, I don't really study dinosaurs. Um, but the story about the child is actually um, uh, says a lot about archaeological research which is that this is one of the few areas where you can bring your children to work kind of day day after day, and they're pretty much welcome there. Um, you can always give them a place to dig. Um, and so on our excavation in Israel, it's pretty common on Friday. Um, it almost looks like a children's camp. Um, we have so many kids and their families that will come and join us, and, you know, it's the more the merrier, and you have to kind of keep your eye on them. But, uh, but they enjoy it, and, and archaeology really is for everybody. And what are the uh, most amazing things you've found, maybe some disappointing things you've stumbled across? <laughs> uh, sure. So the, I'll say one of the biggest surprises, and literally uh, biggest, is I'll, I'll give a little backstory. So I worked at, um, for, since 2004 at a Philistine site, Tel Safi Gath. Um, and that is, uh, it's a large excavation, large research excavation. Often we have about 100 people working. Um, the director is Aaron Mayer of Bar-Ilan University, and it's a large international team. And at our site, um, it was originally a Canaanite site. And then uh, we know the Philistines um, arrived there, and we have the intrusive Philistine culture coming. Um, and we had um, both uh, the Canaanite layers and the Philistine layers on top. And one of the questions we had was one of ecological imperialism. So Aaron Mayer wrote this grant, and we were going to study how uh, uh, the plants and animals that the Philistines brought, how they were different from the Canaanite levels. If I can uh, ask you to rewind a bit, how do you know that there are Canaanites or Philistines there in the first place? What did you find that identified there? Ah, so it's really based on material culture. And Canaanite material culture, um, uh, you know, in the same way if you go to a museum today and you walk into the and to the Chinese section and you look at a large Chinese urn that will have a particular uh, look to it and material, the design, decoration. So we have the same thing. The most common find on an archeological site is our ceramic finds. And the ceramic finds really do, they're excellent um, uh, temporal markers and they're very good cultural markers. The one one thing about ceramics, um, is, as we all know, everybody uses them. Rich people, poor people, 
Um, we use them day to day, even today, you know, in our kitchens. Um, they're pretty inexpensive to make. Uh, they're made out of clay. It's a very cheap material. On the other hand, um, they break easily. And so, and usually, since they're so cheap, most of the time you don't bother to repair them. You'll just get a new one. Um, and however, once the pieces are broken, they pretty much last forever. Hmm. So this is really what archaeologists find. Um, and they very much help us um, identify um, sort of a culture and a time period. Um, anyway, so we had this idea that we were going to study uh, this great concept of ecological imperialism, these new plants and animals that the Philistines brought with them because they're from, from the Mediterranean that moved into the land of Israel. Um, and so we had a grant and we started to work. And within a week or two, all of a sudden, these very large stones are popping up. And we're kind of brushing them and looking at them. And, and it pre pretty much becomes clear that we are not going to study ecological imperialism in this area. Instead, we found the large, the Canaanite city wall. Um, and this was a, you know, a very large find, um, sort of literally. But also, it was one of the earliest fortified cities in the land of Israel. So it was a much earlier time period, about 5,000 years old. Um, and that was really a spectacular find. Um, and it makes you think also about how people for so long in that area um, have lived in these kind of you know, urban environments and have had administrators and leaders who've coordinated. I mean, to build a wall like that, you had to have you know, architects and you had to know engineering and you had to control a lot of labor and you had to gather up the stones and then you would have had mud bricks on top. So it was a major, major undertaking. And you sort of wonder like, why did they do that? So we always think of walls as defense, right? That's kind of the obvious thing. Um, but in those really early days, you kind of wonder, who are you defending against when you're the large settlement and everybody else is tiny? Um, but in many, many instances, we think that these were actually, um, these were symbolic. They were messages. So in Egypt, you might have people build pyramids, and that sends a message of, of, of grandeur. Um, in the land of Israel, the Canaanites, they were really building walls. Um, and this was a way to say that they have um, strong administrations, they control a lot of labor, um, and they're making a statement, you know, sort of to the surrounding area. And does this help you understand the biblical text, particularly the book of Joshua in any way, you know, that describes the conquering of the land of Canaan? Yeah, I, I would say that, um, you know, excavating in Israel, you definitely, what, what, what you're for sure going to get is the archaeological context. You're going to get the context of what the people, what life was like in the land, um, you, know, you know, at various time periods. But yeah, so if you want to understand you know, the conquest of the land of, of Israel by the people, you know, after you'd see Mitzrayim with Yoshua, with, uh, then you kind of want to know what Canaanite life was like. Um, and that's, that's kind of what something like this will help explain. And is there something that you at first thought was some great massive discovery that just turned out to be some useless utensil from an ancient Bed Bath & Beyond? <laughs> um, so I'll tell you uh, kind of even worse than that. So um, uh, another area that I excavated at Tel Safi was um, the lower Tel. Now, the you know cities often had an upper city and a lower city. So I was working now in the lower city, um, pretty close to the wadi, close to where the wall was. Um, and it turned out, you know, we were hoping for a nice neighborhood with, you know, richly appointed, um, maybe some kind of shops. Um, and instead, after about two weeks, we were just digging and it was just white 
powdery chalk, more and more powdery chalk. And when we, we had a drone, you know, to take photographs, and it almost looked like snow over like kind of this massive area and very little material culture. We're hardly getting anything, and whatever pottery we're getting is in terrible shape. Um, anyway, long story short, we spent like actually more than a, more than two seasons excavating an area that was um, an industrial area and and specifically an area where they were bringing chalk from the mountain bringing it down basically pulverizing it and so what we were excavating was just the 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 remains of this pulverized chalk um, so that was it's basically an ancient garbage dump, is what you're saying. Yeah, even worse, like like the an ancient like oil spill almost, you mm. know. <laughs> but yeah, so so that was, I mean, you know, so at least we knew there was that industrial activity, but it was really not very exciting, and I felt kind of bad for the students I had, because in other areas they're finding complete vessels, and we're just finding more and more powdery chalk. And how have the students who usually uh, their learning is uh, affixed to the classroom, the four walls of the classroom? Um, how have you found they are affected by finding the four walls of an ancient Canaanite city? Oh, yeah. So, you know, getting the students out of the classroom is is a phenomenal experience. So the the one great thing about archaeology is that almost is that anybody can do research and original research. Um, all you have to do is dig up something that no one else has dug up before. So the students are engaged, first of all, in a in a massive, um, very professional, very high-level research project. I mean, we collaborate with um, the other universities in the United States and Israel with the Weizmann Institute, um, and so it's a very collaborative project. And so they really get to, and they get to meet specialists in all different kinds of areas, whether it's metallurgy, whether it's um, uh, DNA. We have uh, uh, archaeozoologists. We have botanists. Um, and, um, and they get to really be part of a research team. Um, and I think uh, one student once told me that the, the thing that they really took away from the experience besides kind of the informal learning was just seeing how a really good team works and how, and how they'd never been part of something where people so readily volunteered to do work. And, and that's how it is when you're one of part of these research teams. Like there's a certain amount of work that has to get done. Either you're going to do it or somebody else is going to do it. And so the student, like for the first time, found herself like volunteering for things that in the past she never would have volunteered. So it says almost as if the typical classroom doesn't exactly ask you to roll up your sleeves and put in blood, sweat, tears, and uh, <laughs> sift through pulverized dust. But you give these students this incredible opportunity to tap into the past understand their tradition better, ancient societies better, utilize uh, modern technology, and, and build a team. Yes, very much so. And I, I, I think for, you know, it's wonderful for the students. On While many of them, this will be their only archaeological experience, they won't, you know, they're not going to become archaeologists. Every single one of them says it was a transformative experience and one that they'll remember uh, for the rest of their lives. Thank you so much, Dr. Kath. Thank you. The Why You Ideas podcast is a production of the Office of the Provost of Yeshiva University and Uri Westrich. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like what you're listening to. We want to hear from our listeners. Write to us at shalpern at yu.edu. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted and forward-focused.